0: Welcome to Conference Coverage, presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day, featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the American College of Cardiology's 59th Annual Scientific Session, which took place in Atlanta March 14th through the 16th, 2010. I'm your host, Dr. Marquina, And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. Highlights were
1: results from studies on cardiovascular disease risk in diabetes patients, impaired glucose tolerance and cardiovascular disease, novel therapeutic agents, and optimization of currently available drugs and interventional cardiology approaches. The INVEST study found that tight blood pressure control may result in more harm than good in some patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Researchers randomized 6,400 patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease to antihypertensive therapy based on either a calcium channel blocker or a beta blocker, plus an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor and or a thiazide diuretic. The researchers found that subjects in the uncontrolled blood pressure group with systolic blood pressure of 140 or higher had an almost 50 percent higher combined risk of death, heart attack, or stroke compared with patients in the usual control group whose systolic blood pressure was between 130 and 139. Subjects in the tight control group had a similar risk compared to those in the usual control group, and they also had an increased risk of all-cause mortality. Further, when researchers analyzed blood pressure in increments of 5, they found systolic blood pressure below 115 was associated with increased mortality. The lead author said this data suggests that in patients with both diabetes and coronary artery disease, there is a blood pressure threshold below which cardiovascular risk increases. Abbott
0: Laboratories supported the trial. Another important study was the DOSE Diuretic Optimization Strategies Evaluation Study. This study sought to determine dose and mode of administration in order to prevent volume overload in hospitalized patients with acute decompensated heart failure. Dose and method of administration vary clinically, but observational data has suggested that high-dose diuretics may be associated with a greater risk of adverse outcomes, and small trials have suggested continuous infusion may be preferable to intermittent bolus dosing. 308 ADHF patients with fluid overload were randomized to IV furosemide at two and a half times the patient's usual daily dose or IV furosemide at the usual dose. Patients were then randomized to intravenous dosing either every 12 hours or to a continuous infusion. Researchers observed a trend that suggested greater global symptom resolution over three days with the high-dose regimen, suggesting that the high-dose furosemide may be preferable to low-dose. This trend with the high-dose regimen was not associated with significant decline in renal function. In addition, several secondary measures of ferrosamide's effectiveness in relieving fluid overload also tended to favor the high-dose regimen. According to results presented from a subset of
1: the Platelet Inhibition and Patient Outcomes Trial, or PLATO, use of ticagrelor instead of clopidogrel in patients with acute coronary syndrome who undergo coronary artery bypass graft surgery is associated with a lower likelihood of fatal outcomes. In this study, researchers examined a 1,200-patient subpopulation with acute coronary syndrome who underwent coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Patients had been randomized to receive ticagrelor and aspirin or clopidogrel and aspirin. In line with the results of the overall PLATO trial, the substudy found that 10.5% of patients treated with ticagrelor and aspirin within seven days of coronary artery bypass graft surgery had a primary composite endpoint that included cardiovascular death, heart attack, and stroke. This was compared with 12.6% of those treated with clopidogrel and aspirin. The total mortality rate of patients undergoing treatment with ticagrelor was about 4.5%, compared to about 9% in those taking clopidogrel and aspirin. In addition, the rate of cardiovascular death was also lower in those taking ticagrelor compared to clopidogrel, 4.4% versus 7.5%. The authors found no statistically significant difference between the groups for heart attack and stroke or surgery-related major bleeding. In a statement, the lead author said that ticagrelor appears to be a promising alternative to clopidogrel for patients with acute coronary syndrome who might be candidates for coronary artery bypass graft surgery because of the significant reduction in mortality and similar bleeding rate.
0: In a blood pressure study, dual actions of a novel inhibitor, LCZ696, appear to provide additional lowering of blood pressure when compared to the angiotensin 2 receptor blocker Valsartan. 1,300 patients with mild to moderate hypertension were randomized to two months of treatment in one of eight treatment arms. Four groups received between 100 and 400 milligrams of LCZ-696. Two groups received either 160 milligrams or 320 milligrams of Velsartan. One group received 200 milligrams of a novel neprilysin inhibitor known as AHU-377, and the eighth groups of patients received placebo. After eight weeks of treatment, researchers found that the doses of LCZ-696 yielded significantly greater reductions in mean sitting diastolic blood pressure compared to the appropriate comparator doses of L-sartan. The mean reduction in sitting diastolic blood pressure was significantly greater at doses of 200 mg of LCZ-696 compared to 160 mg of L-sartan. Reduction was also greater at 400 mg of LCZ-696 compared to 320 mg of L-sartan. LCZ-696 was well-tolerated, and there were no serious drug-related adverse events occurring during the study period. The authors of this study conclude that the dual-acting LCZ-696 provides complementary and fully additive blood pressure reductions compared with Valsartan. This suggests that LCZ-696 may be a promising drug for treatment of hypertension and cardiovascular disease. The study was sponsored by Novartis. Several authors of the study reported financial relationships with Novartis and other pharmaceutical companies.
1: Data from three studies assessing treatments for atrial fibrillation were presented at the meeting. Antiarrhythmic drugs were successful in eliminating atrial fibrillation in only about half of patients and can have serious side effects. In the first study, researchers randomly assigned 245 patients in a 2 to 1 ratio to cryoablation or antiarrhythmic drug therapy. Nearly 70% of patients treated with cryoablation remained free of atrial fibrillation after 12 months and did not require non-study medication or an interventional procedure, as compared with just 7% of patients in the antiarrhythmic drug group. Serious complications occurred in just over 3% of patients treated with cryoablation. Less than 1% of patients from the cryoablation group were hospitalized for the recurrence of atrial fibrillation, as compared with 6% in the antiarrhythmic drug group. This study was funded by Medtronic, and the lead author reported a financial relationship with the company. The second study looked at the feasibility of catheter ablation in patients with more advanced atrial fibrillation and substantial underlying cardiovascular disease. This study was designed to lay the foundation for a large randomized controlled trial. Researchers assigned 60 patients to catheter ablation or drug therapy, mostly antiarrhythmic drugs. More than two-thirds of subjects had a persistent or long-standing persistent form of arrhythmia. Catheter ablation appeared to be more effective than drug therapy in preventing recurrent symptomatic atrial fibrillation, but investigators noted success rates were lower than in other randomized controlled trials. In the third study, researchers looked at a new blood clot-preventing drug, batrixaban. This was a Phase two clinical trial. About 500 patients with atrial fibrillation were randomly assigned to 40, 60, or 80 milligram doses of batrixaban or to warfarin therapy. After a follow-up of 3 to 12 months, one patient experienced major bleeding while taking batrixaban at a dose of 40 milligrams a day compared with major bleeding in four patients taking warfarin. Patients taking greater doses of batrixaban experienced similar bleeding rates to patients taking warfarin. The lead researcher concluded, even though batrixaban is still in the early stages of development, these results provide helpful indicators
0: for further research. Portola Pharmaceuticals and Merck & Company funded this study. One highlight was a study examining the impact of pharmacogenetic testing for warfarin on clinical outcomes. Researchers recruited 896 patients starting warfarin therapy. The test was used to find the patient's CYP2C9 and VKORC1 genotype and phenotype results. During the first six months on warfarin, the researchers found that patients who underwent pharmacogenetic testing were 31% less likely to be hospitalized for any cause and 29% less likely to be hospitalized for bleeding or thromboembolism. In an additional analysis that included only hospitalizations that occurred after genotyping, researchers found that patients who underwent genetic testing had a 33% lower risk of hospitalization for any cause and a 43% lower risk of hospitalization for bleeding or thromboembolism genotyping and data collection were funded by Medco Health Solutions. The study's lead author, Medco's chief medical officer, said in a statement that genetic testing may help clinicians predict the best warfarin dose earlier and more accurately to lower the risk of negative outcomes. For patients who have received
1: drug-eluting stents, dual antiplatelet therapy longer than 12 months may be no more effective than aspirin monotherapy in decreasing the rate of heart attack or death from cardiovascular causes. Researchers in South Korea randomized 2,700 patients who had had their stents for at least one year to clopidogrel plus aspirin or aspirin monotherapy. The primary endpoint was a composite of myocardial infarction or death from cardiac causes. At two years, risk was 1.8% with clopidogrel plus aspirin and 1.2% with aspirin alone. Risk of heart attack, repeat revascularization, stroke, major bleeding, stent thrombosis, and death from any cause did not differ significantly between the two groups. The study's authors add larger clinical trials will be
0: necessary. Findings from the two arms of the ACCORD trial were presented on the first day of the meeting, which showed that the two cardiovascular treatment measures used for diabetes patients failed to reduce the risk of cardiovascular events. In one, about 5,500 type 2 diabetes patients being treated with open-label simvastatin were randomized to receive either phenofibrate or placebo. Patients were followed for over four and a half years on average. The combination of phenofibrate and simvastatin was not found to reduce the rates of adverse cardiovascular events, including death from cardiovascular causes, nonfatal stroke, or nonfatal myocardial infarction, compared to simvastatin monotherapy. The researchers concluded that these results do not support routine use of combination therapy with phenofibrate in the majority of high-risk type 2 diabetes patients. Also, the ACCORD study group evaluated blood pressure control measures by randomizing about 4,700 type 2 diabetes patients to either intensive blood pressure control that targeted systolic pressures below 120 or standard blood pressure control with a target of below 140. After average follow-up of over four and a half years, the researchers found that intensive blood pressure control did not reduce the rate of a composite outcome of death from cardiovascular events, non-fatal stroke, or non-fatal myocardial infarction. Multiple pharmaceutical companies provided medication, equipment, or supplies for the Accord study. Several study authors reported financial relationships with these companies. In patients with permanent
1: atrial fibrillation, lenient rate control was just as effective as strict control in preventing cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, according to a Dutch study. Current guidelines recommend strict rate control, but clinical evidence has been lacking. Investigators randomized 614 individuals with permanent atrial fibrillation to lenient rate control with target resting heart rates at fewer than 110 beats per minute or strict rate control with target resting heart rates fewer than 80 beats per minute and fewer than 110 beats per minute during moderate exercise. At three years, researchers estimated that the cumulative incidence of the primary endpoint of composite death from cardiovascular causes, systemic embolism, bleeding, life-threatening arrhythmic events, and hospitalization for heart failure and stroke was about 13% for the lenient rate control group and about 15% for the strict rate control group. In addition, rates of symptoms and adverse events were similar for both groups. Further, researchers concluded that lenient control was more convenient for patients and for physicians, as this group also had fewer outpatient
0: visits. In patients with the rare cholesterol disorder homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia who are already undergoing treatment with lipid-lowering drugs, the inhibition of apolipoprotein B synthesis by a new drug, mypomersin, may be effective in reducing LDL cholesterol. Investigators randomized 51 patients to weekly subcutaneous mypomersin or placebo for 26 weeks. The researchers found that the percentage change in LDL cholesterol went down almost 28% in the lipomersin group compared with about 3% in the placebo group. The most common adverse events in the lipomersin group were injection site reactions, and 12% of patients receiving lipomersin experienced increases in alanine aminotransferase concentrations of three times or more the upper limit of normal compared to none in the placebo group. The authors conclude that mypomersin seems to be a novel, effective way to reduce LDL cholesterol in patients with homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia who are already receiving lipid-lowering drugs. The study was supported by Isis Pharmaceuticals and Genzyme Corporation. Several authors reported financial relationships with these and other pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies.
1: Finally, researchers from the NAVIGATOR study presented findings indicating that neither Valsartan nor nateglanide reduced the incidence of cardiovascular outcome measures in patients with impaired glucose tolerance and cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular risk factors. However, Valsartan does lead to a modest reduction in the incidence of diabetes. The researchers randomized over 9,000 patients to the oral anti-diabetic agent nateglanide or placebo and to the blood pressure medication Valsartan versus placebo, coupled with lifestyle changes. After five years, researchers found that Nateglanide did not significantly reduce either new-onset diabetes or cardiovascular events. Valsartan also did not significantly reduce the incidence of cardiovascular events, though it did reduce progression to diabetes by 14%. The study's authors conclude that although lifestyle modification should remain the primary intervention to reduce the risk of diabetes in the general population, their findings may have
0: important implications for treatment of hypertension. Thank you for listening to conference coverage from the American College of Cardiology's 59th Annual Scientific Session, which took place March 14 through the 16th, 2010, in Atlanta, Georgia. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio. Broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day.